In a world where options are limitless, but time is not, two heroes take a stand against injustice and overwhelming viewing choices. Starring Jane Ellen and Adam Cravens. A podcast that lets you know what's worth watching and what's not. From the Hints and Oakley Podcast Center, this is Binge or Cringe. Hello and welcome to Binge or Cringe. I'm Jane Ellen. And I'm Adam Cravens. So... Let's discuss something horrible, shall okay. we? Uh, I mean, I don't want to, but okay. it seems like we're already walking we down are. that path. I might as well accept it. And because I think it is a well-made piece. HBO Max has something called, what do they call it? Was it? It's Alan V. Uh, Alan, Alan v. Farrow. Yes, yeah. see, I'd already forgotten the name of it. Huh. Alan V. Farrow. I've, I've also so, watched it. Yeah. If you're unaware... Woody Allen, who we mention many times because we are fans of his work, as many people are. And Mia Farrow is a fascinating person as well. They had a, a rather complicated life together. And one of their children, who he she had adopted and then he was able to adopt as well because they were together at the time, uh, two things happened at roughly the same time, and that was Mia discovered nudes of one of her adopted children who was... Not not one yes. that Alan had adopted. Yes. She was, I, I think believe, she was 18, 19. She was either in late high school mm-hmm. or college And she at had this found point. nudes, which he admitted that he had taken... And uh, I have a problem with that, and so did she. As well, you should. So did she. And though I, he, he is not and was not biologically related to her, and now has been Which, married to her for like twenty years. Still gross. I anyway, still don't. Yeah, that doesn't. So that happened. nothing that you said makes any of that no. uh, acceptable. And then you have the alleged abuse of their adopted daughter, and I remember when this happened. And as always, when something horrible comes, especially when I think we're kind of used to it now since the Me Too movement, but someone who is a name you're familiar with, you go, oh, they're an awful person. <sighs> I hate that. I mean, not, so, not that it, it makes it like any any better or, or worse, but whenever you're aware of like their work before, okay, uh, Bill Cosby. Exactly. Bill Bill Cosby had a very successful show on NBC for a number of years. Like a few shows. Um, I, I'm I, I basically created like the must see TV Thursday mm-hmm. that you know eventually spawned like Friends, Seinfeld. Th- this is this is the thing that was the genesis of that. Like was America's dad for a number of years. But like, even prior to that, I don't know if you ever watched I Spy, but he was a an equal star with a white actor at a time when when that just wasn't yeah. the norm, even though it should have been. So that was huge, and then he becomes America's dad, and and does so. And for, by the way, in his stand-up, hilarious and Fat Albert. And then we find out, like I've oh. even I've even seen him live. I have seen Bill Cosby do stand-up live. And then you get all of this stuff that comes to light that's been hidden for decades, and you, it's ju- it's impossible to go back and try to watch that stuff and really, ju- I mean, separate your mm-hmm. mind from it now. So, Woody Allen. I remember when all the story came out, and 
the internet was in its infancy and it certainly wasn't what it is now. And so you would hear him say things and Mia wouldn't say a lot and then things were dropped and it was like, you simply didn't know. I I knew enough to realize I simply didn't know all the facts, but some seriously messed up stuff had clearly happened. But I didn't know everything. Well, what we find out with this documentary is Mia, who this is so smart, she filmed her daughter, and she didn't film her with any leading questions of any Just kind. Just let her talk. And every time her daughter started to talk about what had happened, she filmed her. And Which she did. She did a lot. Yes, like, she filmed whenever, all the time. Whenever, like, the kids, you know, were, like, playing in the lake or, like, you know, they went to the, you know, the beach and they were making... Apparently, like, she has home movies for days. Yes. But in this particular instance... Whenever her daughter started talking about it, she made sure that she mm-hmm. kind of notated it in a kind of an unrefutable fashion. Right. So we got to see and hear those, and it's awful. Me just seeing and hearing that, it's like, yeah, okay, he, and it's, he's guilty. He's and guilty. I, and I think I'm it's, done. He's guilty. It's four parts, I yes. want to say, and they're. They're of varying lengths, but I want to say it's around an hour each time. I think maybe yeah. the last installment's maybe like one fifteen, one twenty. Now, I can say that Woody Allen does not come out of this great. However, I think they do a really excellent job of trying to present as much of both sides as possible. Without just leaning completely yes. to to one, one side yes, or the which other. which would be very easy to do. And... Apparently, now, Woody said right before it aired that they only gave him two weeks to decide if it to come beyond it, and they couldn't, and whatever. They gave him two weeks like a year or two ago before they even started filming, and then they had all that time, and he was not interested in you, in participating in expressing his side, and which I, was probably good on his part. I definitely don't want to use the phrase in his defense because there's not. Yes. I think it was for the best because there is no way you can reshape that. Like, okay, if you get in a fight with somebody, but you got in a fight with somebody because you were protecting them because they were, you know, bullying someone else or mm-hmm. they had struck someone else, that that changes it. Like, you didn't start the fight. You were trying to protect somebody else. That That can reshape an argument on what you were doing. There is nothing that Woody Allen could have said. There's nothing that he could have prepared. There's no justification he could have given that would have, like, expunged all of that. Mm-hmm. Or even, I mean, even, I mean, any of it, some of it. Like, th- there's, yeah. I, I think it's probably best he didn't because yeah. there is no way you're going to come off any better. The only way you can look is worse. Yes. So, that being said, knowing that it's not a happy, happy, movie and I didn't know a lot of the facts obviously but I then looked some stuff up because I knew that Mia Farrow had always adopted a lot of children of varying degrees of they needed this or that I mean she just opened her heart to as many children as she could feasibly take care of and from what I could see she went out of her way to let everyone have a great life three of her adopted children have already passed which I didn't realize. I think one was in an accident, yeah. one committed suicide, one had a, a, some sort of ailment and I think a heart problem and just died young because of that. Mm-hmm. It's like they didn't touch on any of that because it wasn't relevant to the story. But what that woman has been through, just to wow. Be her her partner of 12, 
Yeah. I think it's 12 years to have somebody that you have trusted enough to bring in your home to adopt one of your kids. I mean, there's there's betrayals on on multiple levels like and I don't were they ever legally married? No. OK, I didn't think. But I mean, for more more or less for about a 12 year period, mm-hmm. that was the capacity that he was using so much so that he adopted one of those kids. Mm-hmm. See, the to- other kids, she had been married and she'd had some biological children. And so there were some adoptions with that husband. And then she continued to adopt on her own and then Woody. And so I mean, just ugh. I I. I cannot fathom or process what must have went through her head to have that kind of a betrayal from somebody that is that, I mean, quite literally, intimately, intimately involved in your life. Mm -hmm. But I think people need to watch it, if only to have adult now Dylan be able to share her story, because I think she said in the end, it's... I don't want to use the word nice, but it's nice to be able to have people believe her now. Yeah. And I think that's important. I think it's very important. It's a it's it, a it's a an evenly handled documentary about something it's horrible. A, it's a hard watch, but not because it's poorly made. Yes. It's a hard watch because of the subject matter. Yes. But it is done in a very artistic and uh, I mean, the, the the presentation is near flawless, mm-hmm. but I mean, it's just there's no way that you can ever find a way to convey that subject in a way that doesn't make a normal person sick. Mm-hmm. I mean, now what what jumped out at me and some of his movies I used to watch over and over all the time because I really enjoyed them. And one of the most beautiful films that I thought he made was Manhattan. And Manhattan is partly he loves New York, and it's everything he loves about in New York. But I remember thinking, okay, this is really a hard stretch because in the in the movie, you have this 17-year-old beautiful girl, Woody Allen. Who is, is, who is, is also in the is, film. Is not one would call traditionally handsome. He... Okay, Robert Robert Redford in like let's say the seventies. That's a traditionally handsome yes. man. I understand. I listen. I can I can recognize why women found him attractive. Brad Pitt. I understand why women found him attractive. Woody Allen looks like the kind of person that like Biff Tannen would have shaken them uh, upside down mm-hmm. for their lunch money. So the characters in Manhattan is a 17-year-old girl, and then Woody Allen plays a character who's roughly 30, 35 years older than she is, and they have an affair, and he shows her Manhattan. And I just remember a lot of dialogue, a lot of great music, the way he used music, and someone was going through his notes that they had about all of these movie ideas. And it wasn't until whoever it was did that, and I saw it in the documentary, how many times he writes of a very, very, very young... Specific. A very, very young specific. girl. With a very specific look with a much older guy. And it's repeated over and over and over in his movies. I just never really noticed it like that. Well, whenever... Okay, uh, when you look at, say, Kevin Spacey's character in House of Cards, mm-hmm. and you're like, wow, this character is twisted. Like, what, what mental place does he have to go? Where is he borrowing 
uh, for that to bring that to life so convincingly. Then a lot of things come into your life and you're like, oh, Kevin Spacey was playing himself. The monster that we thought he was playing on House of Cards, that's just Kevin Spacey. The the same way that <laughs> that, that like Tom Hanks acts like himself and all you're just like he's he's so delightful and cherubic i i just love him i want to hug him he's america's uncle that's because i think that's probably what tom hanks is as it turns out kevin spacey was doing something similar except he's not delightful and cherubic he's he's kind of a, a monster and disgusting and that's why that character was so convincing and it makes me extra angry not just the horrible things he did but he is such a gifted with mimicry, I really love someone who can do great impersonations, and he can. It makes me so angry that he's an awful person. When when I first started getting into film, or had, like really found an interest for it, besides it's Friday, we should go watch something. I did start like discovering some of his movies, but then I also started because I, I was. I mean, most of that stuff happened in the early nineties. So like I don't I don't remember a lot of it being on the news because I was watching cartoons. The more that I read up and learned about him, it was it was harder for me to try to separate that from his films. Mm -hmm. Like uh Annie Hall beat Star Wars oh, at the yeah, Oscars. I'm still mad about that. And I I'm sitting there going, I feel like as a, you know, a fan of film, this is something I need to I need to watch, I need to experience, I need to, you know, form my own opinion on. But I don't. I don't want to. I I I don't know if I can watch that movie and just be like I, and enjoy it or appreciate it because I'll just be sitting there going right. But that guy, fair, unfair, whatever. It's you. It's it gets hard when it's something that terrible. It's not like they were jaywalking. Mm -hmm. It's not like they got drunk and you know accidentally crashed their Lamborghini into a sidewalk and or someone something. Someone else that they were interviewing, who I don't recall, they were naming a bunch of artists as in painter sculptor type artists and i don't remember all of the people they named but they said they were horrible they did this this and this does that make their painting not a good painting and that's to me much like if a tree falls in the forest and no one is there to hear it it's not it's not a commentary on the painting but like you especially when you know about what it is and like i'm not saying any hall or manhattan or match point i'm not saying that any of these movies are worse or better for it but it's really hard to separate brian singer uh brian singer made the first uh two x-men movies he did uh x-men days of future past i love those movies those are exceptional movies but when you get the hindsight of looking at what that person was it's harder to go back and separate like some of that and not just be able to look at it and enjoy it because the more you think about it and that's how i that's how i watch film i i don't just watch movies and be like neat i there's a lot of gears turning in there and when i'm sitting there thinking about going but the person that did this like that used their talent and brian singer's a talented director uh usual suspects another like really interesting film but he's also kind of a terrible person, and it makes it makes those pills just a little bit yeah. more bitter and harder to swallow. You're listening to Binger Cringe, brought to you by Hinson Oakley Family Dentistry. Jane Ellen talking with Adam Cravens about what is streaming, and I cannot wait, truly, to hear what you have to say about the Zack Snyder cut of the Justice League. I had a couple of hours... Uh, that I wasn't doing anything, and trust me, you're gonna need to set aside a couple. The uh, theatrical, four. the four. 
the vastly inferior, I will say that, um, cut, the theatrical cut of Justice League, that Joss Whedon of Avengers, Firefly, uh, Buffy fame. And horribleness, apparently. Ugh. Yeah, and anyway, just keep going. I know. Zack Snyder cut, yes. Um, that had stepped in at some point because Warner Brothers was not pleased with the direction. That, Depending on what source you're going from, uh, Zack Snyder's uh, had a tragedy in his life. His um, daughter had committed suicide. Warner Brothers was also reputedly not pleased with a, his very dark take on Justice League that they were spending $200, $300 million on and wanted it to go in a lighter direction, probably similar to Avengers, that had just recently made, you know, one uh, a billion, one point two billion dollars, one point five billion dollars. The third one goes on to make two billion dollars. The fourth one, for a short time, was the highest grossing movie. Warner Brothers wanted a piece of that action. Mm-hmm. Um, they go in and do a significant amount of interfering. Um, we get the weird Henry Cavill digitally remove mustache because he's shooting Mission Impossible Fallout at this point, and you get a lot of terrible CGI, which really shouldn't be allowed in a film that cost $300 million. Mm-hmm. I feel like there's someone out there you could hire with some of that money and just be like, you know what you're doing with computer, right? Can Do you know how to click the mouse make or it go. Make, it, make it look right? And they're like, oh, yeah, yeah, how much do you have? $300 million? Oh, yes! I can make that happen. Anyways, Justice League 2017 basically derails the entirety of the the cinematic DCU um, to the point that they they really slow this down. Um, they had announced a slate of films, not unlike mm-hmm. what Marvel does at their, and I don't know that any of those films have come to pass. Like Justice League Two is in there, Flash, uh, uh, Flashpoint Paradox, a Cyborg movie, Green Lantern Corps. None of this comes to light, really because of the train wreck that Justice League became. A couple of years ago, um, I guess somebody had leaked the fact that there is a production cut of the, the of what Zack Snyder wanted to do with the movie. At this point, he had done Man of Steel, uh, Batman vs. Superman. He had shot uh, most of Justice League, and there were plans to do, I believe, a, a sequel. and I, I, I want to say it's a sequel and a third film in that. The... People start saying the the Snyder cuts much better. Like it's not finished. Like there's still a lot of special effects, but it's it's a very different film. And Warner Brothers just really isn't saying anything about it. Three four years later, with the advent of HBO Max, you finally really get and maybe the pandemic. Also the pandemic, which which kind of throws into that. Warner Brothers decides in a situation I really can't think of that parallels this. I mean, you've got. Ridley Scott getting to re-edit Blade Runner, and that being seen as kind of the definitive version of Blade Runner. Or when Richard Donner got to recut a lot of Superman 2 to do the Donner cut nearly 25 years after that film was taken away from him by the producers. But I think they spent maybe $7 million, $10 million on that. Mm -hmm. Warner Brothers ponies up. $70 $70 million to, and I'm using quotation, finish this movie. This is a film that already cost $300 million. They put out another $70 million so that they can finish Zack Snyder's version of this movie. Now, granted, it's not like this was a little thing that never got seen. This was a theatrically released movie that made $653 million, whatever. And yet, still not a success. I think that's funny (laughs) that you can make 
that much money and them just go like no mm-hmm. i was like that has to be the biggest not flop flop of all time like kevin costner's Waterworld and respectfully the postman uh included so now with that background what are your thoughts i don't want to say an infinitely superior but it is very much in keeping with the two films that preceded it Man of Steel, like, was polarizing, and so was Batman versus Superman, but they definitely had a consistent vision. If you enjoyed those movies, you will definitely appreciate this more than the theatrically released Justice League. Joss Whedon's cut came in at, I want to say, an hour 56, an hour 57, and I rewatched it after watching the four-hour cut of Zack Snyder's Justice League. That, that's enormous. There's no way this film could have been released in theaters. Lord of the Rings didn't even dare to release a four-hour cut in theater of those. It's rated R. Batman drops the F-bomb at one point. When people get killed in this, like, it's not... They they don't... I I mean, it's not gruesome in the way that, like, say, a Friday the 13th Mm -hmm. movie is. But they don't... They're not balking, and they're not quipping at each other. This isn't the fight in Civil War in the the airport where they're just, you know... And I I love those movies, but that's not... That's not what the DC um, Cinematic Universe had been. I was confused. There was a fight going on and there were animal, not animals. <laughs> there were Amazons. There were also animals, but there were Amazons. And then Surtur is there. And it's like, huh, what's he doing there with his big horns? And Thor's not here. It's not a Thor thing. And I turned to my child and I said, what's he doing in there? That's not Surtur from Thor Ragnarok. Because That's all because Steppenwolf, all things Wolf, who looks exactly like him, except one's on fire and the other is shiny. Well, the do the, they not look exactly alike? Well, here's the catch about a lot of the inspirations that we are exactly now alike. getting into the films, and maybe even Hellboy. Thanos, who was very famously in Avengers: Infinity War and Avengers: uh, Endgame, was more or less Marvel copying what Jack Kirby was doing in New Gods with Darkseid. uh, More or less, now we've seen them cinematically, Thanos appears first. So it just looks like that DC is trying to copy that. Mm -hmm. In the same way, there's a whole lot of times that Marvel was just ripping off what DC was doing, or vice versa, because they're like, well, that seems to work for them. Why don't we just try to do that? So in all likelihood... Back in the 60s or 70s when Marvel and DC are doing this, they're like, hey, they've got success with that comic book. How can we rip that off without getting sued for copyright infringement? Okay, he's got horns? All right. And he's got armor? All right. He's based on Greek mythology? Fine. We're going to base it on Roman mythology. More mm-hmm. more than likely, that's what happened there. I mean, there's a, there's a Hercules that's in the DC universe, and I believe there's also a Hercules in the Marvel universe. Because at this point, Hercules, I think, is in public domain. Ah, okay. And apparently I'm not the only one who has thought this thought. Oh, they look so much alike. They do. They do. They do. Okay. Well, it's funnier when I had Thor Ragnarok dialogue in my head while watching that part. Listen, Thor Ragnarok is not a film to be scoffed at. No, like, I, I completely respect it. <laughs> it is not, and it is a part of my daily life. So, is it worth the time? If you are a fan of comic books, like if if you love romantic comedies and that's just your jam, no. 
you do not want to commit the four hours to this. If you were kind of ambivalent toward Justice League, which is what I like, I left the theater and I was like, well, okay. I mean, yeah, I was ambivalent. I didn't walk away going, oh, that was terrible. But and it I just, wasn't either. Yay. It was I was like, like how fine. is this the culmination of putting together, like, you know, that Aquaman all is of, hot. That's all what I of DC's away. like big dogs in there. And I was like, I feel like I should. I should have, I need, I need to feel better about this. Like, I just, I was kind of indifferent to it. I didn't hate it, but I, I also wasn't just like, oh, I can't wait for this thing to hit video. And that's how I should have felt about a Justice League movie. The film that Zack Snyder, like, it gets to breathe. There is so much that they have compressed in the two hours of that first one. Nothing is being given time. You, you don't get to get any kind of development from the characters. Um, there are shots that they cut out just because they were taking time, like the lead up to the Amazons and the mother box. It's epic. Like it looks if you did not know that it was coming from a DC movie, you would not be remiss for assuming that you're looking at uh, some lost footage from Lord of the Rings. The, yes, the, the, the horses of Ro the Rohirrim. I, I'm just saying like this one is epic and a couple of characters that really got short uh, cyborg who almost feels like a a really big cameo and his dad are more or less major characters, if not lead characters in this movie. In the Justice League uh, theatrical cut, they barely appear and you really learn nothing about these characters besides Cyborg can do cyborgy stuff and, uh, I don't know, electricity. <laughs> Flash, who is another character that really just gets to toss off quippy one-liners. Um, we really don't get a lot of exploration for this character and unlike I, b I believe Wonder Woman at that point had had her film released. Um, most of these characters, we get shortchanged because of the runtime, because we don't really, like, Aquaman does water stuff. Uh, Batman, they've made, you know, 17 of those movies since 1989, so we know a reasonable about about him. Superman, yeah, we know about him. Everybody else really just gets to show up, do superhero, and then go to the next scene. This film, we get to kind of explore some of the motivations. Uh, the characters really get to breathe. We start understanding, like, the ideas behind it. You're exploring some really big stuff, like death. Um, one of their characters, the, uh, the Flash's father, has been wrongfully in prison for the murder of his mother. You really get to see what is compelling these characters and scenes that I really I'm sitting there going why did you cut this from the movie like I think it would have been okay if the movie ran six more minutes if you would have left this in mm -hmm. here there's just so much meat on the bone on this one and it's like it's really tender juicy delicious meat you can't release a four-hour r-rated superhero movie and expect to make you know, $1.7 billion. That won't happen. Mathematically, financially. But if there's a pandemic and we're just waiting for something else to watch, you can. And you can drop it on HBO Max? Yeah, yes. Like, at no point, neither version of this film could have ever been the Avengers, the way that Warner Brothers wanted it to be. They even brought in the director and writer of Avengers to make it Avengers, and he couldn't do that. Mm -hmm. the, the universe that they created um, was doing some really interesting stuff. Um, very different stuff uh, from its cinematic counterparts or their their comic book counterparts. This film really is the film. May, maybe if they could have shaved it down to like you know two thirty or three hours, it, it could have been released. But this is a much better film. Like it feels like the characters, the the actors are actually getting into act, and they're not just green screening everything that they can do. And on top of that, which I, I'm I'm kind of curious what the thought process was behind it. 
and I, I'm guessing this is what Zack Snyder wanted to do with the film initially, but you get a lot, you get like three or four cliffhangers at the end of this. And this is some pretty big, big stuff. Like setting up what I'm guessing would have been larger films. So do you or, think, since so this is, seems to me it's being much better received, do you think those movies will get the green light? One of two things has to happen there, and I, I can't I can't imagine that they can warrant the the budget for some of what this would require to put it on HBO Max. Um, supposedly, they're talking to Ben Affleck about doing his turning his Batman movie script that he ended up dropping out of doing that as kind of a mini series or a maxi series or whatever they do having that you can do that because batman you know drives cars he's in a city you can't make justice league part 2 or you can't have a post apocalyptic landscape that dark side and the parademons have taken over and you, you can't do that with a 70 million dollar budget and it look like anything mm-hmm. either they're going to have to severely par down these ideas and that's not if you've watched anything Zack Snyder's ever done that's not what this guy does he does not he doesn't think in small spaces in the way that like a neil simon play can be done in one location and it's all about the actors like talking or their comedic timing that's not what Zack snyder does this guy is kind of like a a dark michael bay Mm -hmm. he he likes to delve into some really uncomfortable subjects sometimes um and visually I, i think he's always if he doesn't hit the mark he at least shows you something you've never seen before which is nice. Um, either this thing becomes the kind of the accepted canon and they let Justice League go back to theaters, which at this point aren't even throwing out the money that they used to. I would love to see the follow-ups. They, they set up... What, do you, sh- should I tell what they no, set up? No, okay, no, no, I shouldn't. No, they but, set up some really cool stuff. But this made you more excited about the movie. I and didn't I didn't care if I got a Justice League 2 after 2017. I just I didn't. I was like, okay, well if that's all we get, that's all we get. Bring on bring on the Batman movie. I'll watch that. This movie with what they were setting up there, I legitimately was angry that I, I don't want this to be the cliffhanger that never gets resolved. Mm-hmm. And I'm I like I don't I don't know what kind of money has to come into the HBO Max coffers in or, order for them to go okay yeah we do Justice League too we do you know Batman versus whoever shows up at the end of the movie we do we get to see the post apocalyptic future that you know Batman kept dreaming about because those are expensive ideas that's the problem mm-hmm. it's not that the story like isn't worth being told um. I don't know if they did that just to preserve the original intent and what he was going to do whenever he finished his version of Justice League, or if HBO was just like, if this thing hits hard enough, we've got three, four more things that we can explore and you know probably make a couple bucks off of as well. Those are some of the best parts of the movie, and I'm not saying the previous four hours was like a slog. It's got a lot of stuff, and it's it's much better than the one that was released in theaters. But man, those cliffhangers set up some fascinating stuff that, as a person who is a fan of comic books and has been since they could start reading like the printed word, I'd love to see those stories told. 
Okay, so the Snyder Cut of Justice League, you just might want to watch. Just set aside several hours. Yes. And, and uh, you probably don't want to take any NyQuil because you're going to be there for a minute. Exactly. Thank you so much for listening to Binge or Cringe. I'm Jane Ellen. And I'm Adam Craven. You've been listening to Binge or Cringe. Download your favorites and keep up with new episodes in the Hints and Oakley Podcast Center.